Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 through 22 and 33 and 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. As I was thinking about uh, this passage from 1 Corinthians, you know, we've been in this sermon series, and uh, we're several weeks in. Here we are in chapter 11, and, and kind of what Paul is doing all through 1 Corinthians is he's addressing different issues that are going on in the church, uh, and he's being pretty direct, and I think this is his most direct uh, that he gets. I don't know if you noticed that in the scripture reading, but um, I mean, just the very first line, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings together do more harm than good. Ouch. Right? I mean, that's, that's about as harsh as you can get in, uh, I don't know, the New Testament. <laughs> I mean, they, they don't, uh, he's not pulling any punches here. So uh, as I got to think about this, you know, one of the big things going on uh, is that there's these divisions in the church. And these come up over and over again through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've talked about it many times. And uh, there's these divisions in the church. And, and here we find this new set of divisions between those that, that have a lot and those that don't. Those that are kind of in this upper class of society and those that are in the lower class of society. But they both find themselves in the same place. They both find themselves in the church. And they're together uh, in these churches, and uh, when I was thinking about this, I, I thought of a, a recent NBA broadcast I saw. It was during kind of the end of the season, and, and of course, it's, it was playoffs, and, and playoffs are all exciting, so as they showed the crowd, you know, on TV, they, they always like to show the people that are in the front row, right? And sometimes they're these famous people, so uh, they show this one couple, and they're famous actors, and oh, here they are at the game, and uh, and then there was like a politician that was there that they made sure to show them. And then they show this random person that I didn't know who they were. And they, and they said that they're the owner of the team, you know, so you know that they're uh, very, very important people also. Uh, and it's this kind of this societal rule that we all know that when you go to these large events that some people have the best seats. Some people are like courtside or, or up in, uh, in these amazing, uh, you know, sections up high that, that they like feed you and stuff. Uh, in the box seats, and then other people, um, like most of the games I've gone to, uh, you're way up high 
in the nosebleed sections. And, and the reason I bring this up is this, this is like trend online. Maybe you've seen it, but they've gone around different stadiums in America and they document the worst seats in the house in every stadium. Some stadiums do better than others, but it is actually pretty comical. So there's one stadium, and, and I don't have a picture for, for you, but you can picture this. There's, there's a seat, and it shows a guy sitting in it, and he's sitting, and there's a pillar post. It's not this big. It's like this big. You know, it's, it's a big I-beam supporting the stadium, and it is so close to his seat that his legs are apart <laughs> as he's sitting there. That is his whole view. Is this, and I'm sure the seat wasn't free, right? Uh, but he didn't know until he got there. There's another one, uh, and I just love this one. There's, there's this seat. It's at a baseball stadium. Uh, if you've ever gone to baseball, like, what's the most important part to see? It's probably home plate, right? Because it's where, like, all of the action is happening for most of the game. Um, and there's this chair that's tight against a wall. I mean, it's the armrest, and then there's a wall. So you have, like, nothing there. Um, and the wall extends far enough that it blocks half the field. And it blocks home plate. So like all you can see from this seat is like two people in the outfield. and that You can't even see the third one. I mean, that's all you can see at this seat. And then there was a third one that I, I think is my favorite. So it's the stadium, um, football stadium. I think it was a college one. And there's this balcony that was like above the people. So they're in the main section, but, but there's this balcony above. And then people are higher than that. And the balcony's so tight that it's maybe like half the height of our ceiling here. They're close. And, and you're looking kind of through this one line. If you can see it perfectly, you can see the field. But they showed whenever anything exciting happened, everyone stood up and they took up the whole space <laughs> between the balcony and the field. So you literally had 0% view uh, of the field that was going on. And I just, I don't know. If you're bored this afternoon, look up these pictures. They are, they are pretty funny. And... Uh, what we kind of see in 1 Corinthians here is that some people are, are going to church in Corinth, and some people are having the really good seats, so to speak, and some people are not. And, and I'm not exactly talking about like those of you that love the side section, and, and I realize some of you have like this pillar thing going on too. Is anyone there? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> uh, it's not quite the same. What's going on in, in Corinth is really fascinating, but it takes a little, a little more like digging into the history of what church looked like. Uh, so as we get into this text, we'll do some of that too. I think you'll find it really fascinating. Uh, a little background information. I like to give this every time we talk in a, in a book of the Bible. Corinth, uh, the city that this letter is written to, it's written to a bunch of house churches that are there. Uh, Corinth is this major port city. Uh, in modern-day Greece, uh, and because it's a port city, it has a lot of trade, um, and the trade brings in a lot of money uh, to the area, and it also brings people in from all over their known world, all over the Mediterranean world. So there's people there that, um, you know, there's, it's in Greece, but there might be like Egyptians that are living there, you know, people from all over. And part of what happens in Corinth is those people don't uh, just come and kind of become Corinthian. They, they bring some of their... Uh, their culture with them, and particularly their religion. So we look back uh, as far as archaeologists are concerned, and there's temples to all these different gods uh, that we find in Corinth. So there's, there's actually temples, of course, to Greek gods. There's temples to Roman gods, but there's actually temples to Egyptian gods that are in Corinth. There's temples to these other gods that are from all over the world. So as you imagine kind of being in this first century world, being in the, 
the church, as the church is starting, Corinth is not an easy place to be. Uh, it's, it's a place with a lot of social pressures and, and how do we behave in society dictates a lot of, of who we are and, and what it means for us, even as far as opportunities. And uh, As people start to follow Jesus, a lot of them start to realize that, that they're being kind of removed from a lot of the, the major parts of society. It was so much around these temples, it was so much around what they did that you know, there would be a big festival and they're sacrificing to gods and, you know, all this stuff, you know, lowercase g, gods, you know, the Greek and the Roman gods, and, and the Christians are having a hard time, and, and as everything goes on, they start to kind of be more and more removed from the society they're within. But what's fascinating in the book of 1 Corinthians is that over and over again, we find instances where they're just acting just like everyone else. So they're not necessarily called to, like, not engage in their society, but they are called to look different. Like, now that they have Jesus, now that they know that grace, their lives aren't supposed to look the same as it did before. And Paul keeps bringing up these subjects of, like, you, you said you accepted Jesus, but you're kind of doing the exact same thing you were before. So here, here again uh, we are, and we find one of those, uh, one of those instances. So uh, let's dive right in. We're in chapter uh, 11, at, starting at verse 17. Uh, I, I mentioned it earlier. It says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. All right, that should perk our ears. Right? What, what, is, what is Paul going to address? What is, what's so wrong? He's talking to a church, right? So their meetings are not, you know, not, they're not talking in the business world. He's talking about when they meet together to worship, when they meet together, uh, and they would have been meeting on Sundays, he says they're doing more harm than they're doing good. So to us as the church, I hope at least, that this, this opens our ears. We want to say, okay, what is Paul going to talk about? Because we want to make sure we're not making the same issues. This is, this is about as harsh of language as you can get. Verse 18. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. So here we are once again. There's divisions in the church. We've talked about this in other weeks. A lot of the other weeks, earlier in the book, a lot of it was split between the Gentile Christians, so kind of what uh, Scripture often calls the Greek Christians, and the Jewish Christians. And they're they're coming together, they're, they're one in Christ, but they're coming from very different cultures, very different places, and, and a lot of different assumptions, and now they're mixing in a church, and they're really struggling on how to do it well. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the issue of food sacrifice to idols. Somebody would, would take uh, a cow or something, and they would sacrifice it to one of these idol gods, and, and the Gentile Christian said, it's fine to eat it. Uh, because God created everything. God created that cow, and, and what it was sacrificed is a, is a fake God anyway, so, so we're fine eating it. Um, and the Jewish Christians couldn't even fathom eating such a cow because how they've lived culturally their entire lives is like, we don't, we don't do this. Uh, so there's always these divides. But here we actually find really interesting a different divide. So the church is divided in multiple ways. So here, they're actually divided along these economic lines. There's wealthy followers of Jesus, and there's poor followers of Jesus. But yet, they gather as one church. And it's, and it's messy, and it's not looking how 
uh, Paul thinks is acceptable. Actually, he says how they're doing that is doing more harm than it is good. There's this, this upper-class society and this lower-class, and it's very clear in their world who's who. Even more clear than, like, who's in the front row and who's in the nosebleed section. It's even more clear. They know which one of those categories they fall in. But the problem is that when they're gathering for a church, they're still living into those roles. They're still living in that same way. But the church, the church has been called to look different. In Galatians 3.28, a very popular verse, it says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. All are one in Christ Jesus. So they've been given this high, high standard. And here we find a church that is not living up to that. And and here's where it gets kind of into the details, starting in verse 19. No doubt there have been differences among you to show uh, which of you has God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some go ahead with their own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. All right, here's what's going on here. So we have to, uh, again, kind of peel away some. There's, there's some assumptions that we think about church that aren't exactly happening, and it's, and it's helpful to kind of put on your first century world uh, mindset here. So they're meeting in house churches. Uh, that's how it would have worked in Corinth. There would have probably been several of them because they're spread out along a big uh, major city. Uh, but how these churches work is that a wealthy person in the church, because they would have a big enough house, so there's a wealthy person in the church, uh, and everyone would gather at their house. And how a, a house was kind of set up back then, especially the wealthy ones, there's a major courtyard in the middle, and it's surrounded by different rooms, uh, sometimes one story, often two stories of rooms. Um, so people are, are arriving uh, to the church, um, and what they're doing is they're showing up, and one of the major, major things they're doing, and, and this is so different than us that it takes a little bit to understand, is, is communion or eating together. That, that's the main part of what they're doing. So they also have teachers that probably come up front and teach. Uh, they, they probably sing uh, songs. But the main thing is that they're coming together on a Sunday. The reason it's Sunday is because Easter was on a Sunday. So every Sunday, they gather the gather together to recognize Easter, um, and they're, um, they're eating this, this large meal together. And then they do some other things. And it's probably not one hour, right? I mean, it, it's several hours that they're gathering together. So, so here's what uh, a lot of Bible experts think is happening in Corinth. And it, and it shines a light on this. I think it makes a lot of sense. So in the Roman world, there was not... Uh, such a thing as laws that, that give you certain days off of the week from work. So if you were a slave or if you were in the lower class society, if you were working class, uh, you work seven days a week, 
Um, but we do know from them that most people work till five o'clock. Um, interesting, still, still similar, right? But, but most people work till five o'clock, but they're also working on Sunday. So these gatherings were happening in Sunday evenings. They're happening in a wealthy person's house, but starting at like two or three in the afternoon, the wealthy people in the church would start showing up. Because in their society, like the wealthy people don't have to work, right? They're like generationally wealthy. That, that's what they are. So the upper class people are all coming together. They're having this giant banquet. They're all bringing food. They're gathering at this, this house. They're sitting in the best places. They're probably not in the courtyard where it's going to be hot in the evening. They're sitting in, in some of these other larger rooms. Uh, and they are starting to eat like two, three in the afternoon. Now, keep in mind, if you have to work or if you're a slave, uh, but you're a part of the church, there's no way you could be there before five. So these other people, two or three o'clock, they're gathering, they're having these, uh, these huge meals, and, and part of that's intentional. They're eating together because uh, of recognition of the Lord's Supper. They're, they're eating because Jesus ate with his disciples before communion took place, right? Before he instituted that uh, in the gospel. So, so they're doing some of this on purpose, but it's, it's, it's looking really wrong by the end. So they're meeting at two or three, they're bringing all these food, they're really kind of showing off, and then by the time five o'clock comes, the other people start showing up, and they, don't, they can't afford to bring anything, right? It's like, it's like showing up to a potluck, like, without anything, right? And we have potlucks at church, it's always said uh, in the service, like, even if you didn't bring anything, please stay, we just want to visit with you. Uh, they're not getting that feeling, <laughs> right? So the poor people are showing up. Uh, they're just happy to be there, but they're probably sitting out in the courtyard. They're sitting out uh, where it's hot, and there's, there's divisions in the church, but there's literally divisions. In the, they're in different rooms. They're in different places. Like it's, it's not just like, oh, there's this metaphorical line that's been drawn. It's like, no, the poor people are literally in a worse place of the house, and, and they're hungry, and they have nothing to eat, and they can't possibly bring food to share and then there's there's the other group of people that are the wealthy people and they're in the best parts of the house they're in the nice they've been there for hours and they are so full that they're starting to feel sick and we're actually told that some of them have have uh drank so much that they're drunk by the time five o'clock rolls around so you kind of get the picture of what's going so this is this is an interesting uh, snapshot in time, but, but as the church is gathering, um, how Paul says it is that some people are, are eating so much that they're overly full and they're drunk, and other people are showing up and they're being humiliated. And, and there's not like, um, there's not a whole lot of sharing going on. And even if there was, it'd be the worst things that are left over three hours. Le- I mean, who wants the three-hour leftover potluck food? Uh, anyway, right? Um, so as they show up, Paul says that uh, some are humiliated. And he goes on and he says, and what's worse is you're calling that the Lord's Supper. You're calling that thing, that, uh, that, that mean thing that's separating you, you're calling that communion. Like that's Again, it should perk our ears, right? There's, some, there's something very strange going on, and it's not just in how they're acting. It's like a heart issue. There's something going on deeper. For some reason, they're meeting this way, and they think it's okay. 
And they think it's all right, and they don't think it's uh, that big a deal. So Paul goes on, and uh, I didn't have it in the reading because it's quite long, but Paul goes on then to give them instructions on what to do when they take communion together. What to do when they uh, take the Lord's Supper together. And uh, if you just go ahead and read it, uh, it will sound very familiar. <laughs> because it's, it's the same words that, that we use, that many other churches use when we take communion together. Uh, it says this, For I see from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he goes on to warn them about taking communion improperly. He's saying how, how you're behaving, what's going on, it's actually having real consequences uh, in their health. It's having real consequences in, in how um, their life is going together. And then jumping down to verse 33 and 34, Paul says, So then, brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And he goes on and gives one more note, and he says, And when I come, I will give you further direction. So when you eat, you should all eat together. There's these divisions in the church, and, and yet, as I read earlier in, in Galatians 3.28, we're told that in the church there's to be neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one, in Christ Jesus. So as the church gathers, and, and the, the church being the people, right? As the people gather, the people of Jesus, they're to be a, one person. They're to be uh, unified. So what does this mean for us today? Uh, part of, of what I look at here is it's really easy in this uh, maybe you find yourself with this temptation. It's really easy being so removed from this time to be pretty judgmental towards the people that are gathering. At least when I first read, I'm like, what are they doing? Like, don't they, don't they know how bad that is? Like, don't they, this doesn't make sense. Right? This is how churches are supposed to behave. And, and it can be very easy to look back at, at say, the, the church in Corinth in the first century and be like, what a bunch of fools. How silly are they? And and yet, they're not evil people. A little of how, how the Bible was collected, even, even written, um, 1 Corinthians would have been written down as a letter while the Gospels were still oral tradition that was being told in the church. Like, pen has not met paper yet to write down Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That, that comes later. So, so it's really easy to look through this and be like, don't you know all the teachings of Jesus that I know? Like, how, how could you know thoroughly the Sermon on the Mount? And certainly they had people that, 
that, I mean, would teach those things. I mean, they had people that were literally there when Jesus said that, that could stand in front of the church and say, this is what Jesus taught. Um, that tradition was carried on, but uh, there, there's this benefit of time where we're like, don't you know what Paul is going to say later on in the book of Galatians? Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> don't you know that in a couple of years, Paul's going to write a book called Galatians? <laughs> and in there, he's going to say this about not being a uh, slave uh, nor free. But, but this church, it's not a church full of evil people. They're not a church full of terrible people that, that want to separate people. And they're a church that that again, loves Jesus, they've met Jesus, they, they're so uh, tied to that that they're willing to give up a lot in their society. When they started following him, they're, they're saying, like, I, I want this to be who I am. This is going to take a lot of self-sacrifice. This is going to take a huge hit to my reputation. Uh, the business I own, it, it's not going to look the same, because, but I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. Right, so th- these people are not taking this lightly, but then when they come to gather together, it looks the same as these gatherings that would happen at these other temples. They're still kind of living the same way as the rest of their society. So they gather, and, and that's how it would happen. People would show up early. They would have these big meals. Of course you would bring food because you're kind of showing off your own wealth and, and yet sharing it. And, um, and kind of what goes around comes around. So, so when I bring it this time, someone else will feed me next time. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's how it works. And, and they've gathered together, but it, it looks a lot like that. And it looks less like what they're called to be as a church. It looks less like what, uh, what the rest of Scripture says uh, that their, their behavior should be, how they treat the poor, how they treat those that don't have as much. And when Jesus enters into the picture, it's supposed to change everything. It's supposed to change their entire lives. So they're not terrible people. They're just behaving like Corinthians. And they live in Corinth. <laughs> you know, so they're, they're just behaving like everyone else. And, and for some reason, it, it's going to take more time for this good news of who Jesus is to, to kind of seep into every part of who they are and start to affect every part of who they are. Matthew chapter 20, 25 through 28, uh, I think it's also helpful to look at. These are um, words of Jesus. Starting in verse 25, it says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the uh, Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is to be our example in the church. If we're going to live lives that look like Jesus, it's going to look like uh, what he says here, that that Jesus did not come to be, you know, we're able to gather together and we say, you know, everyone eat, please stay, you know, we just want to fellowship together. And 
uh, and that's good. But what does it look like for you when you gather to show up as a servant, not one who is to be served? It's supposed to be a whole community that everyone is serving each other, right? That, that's kind of the picture of what's going on. So, so what does it look like? And I really, I mean, I'm, I'm going to do it. I, I hardly ever, it, it annoys me, I'll just say this. It annoys me when pastors are the heroes in their own story. I don't know if you've been, if you've been to church long enough, you've probably seen that quite a bit. Uh, where it's like, oh, just follow my example and it's good. Uh, but I'm going to use, I'm going to use a small one. Um, when I show up to church, I want to show up here as, as a servant. That, that's my mindset. So if you know what car is mine, you know that it's on the far side of the parking lot. I park all the way down by the pond every Sunday. There's open parking spots when I get here. <laughs> I could be as close as possible, but, but I want to leave those open for you all. I, I want to leave those open for... Uh, maybe somebody that has some mobility issues or, or somebody that's new at the church. And, and I, mean, I would love it as a church to show up one day and everyone's parked on the far side of the parking lot. Because in their minds, everyone's like, like I want to leave those spaces for someone else. Right? Do you get what I'm saying? There's like a mindset there. Um, there's an old church joke that, that goes just about that. It says you can learn a lot about a pastor by where they park in the parking lot. Uh, and I think it's true. <laughs> Uh, and, and there's just other things we can do. You know, when, you, when we eat together, I mean, he's talking about eating here. When you eat together, maybe it would be good to not be in the front of the line. Maybe it would be good to have a mindset that says, I'm going to go a little later uh, in line, and, and maybe that really great, awesome thing that so-and-so brought that I've been eyeing, maybe, maybe other people will take it all before I get there, and I'm okay with that. Now you're like, oh, that's hitting home too much. <laughs> you're like, hey, you know. we're talking about food today? Like, it's, it's 11 o'clock, I don't know. Maybe it means showing up and, and doing some of these behind-the-scenes volunteering things that really, I mean, we, we might say thank you every once in a while, but, but largely are, are not a huge thank you kind of thing. Maybe it... Maybe it looks like showing up and being the person that's in the nursery right now. Uh, being the person that's doing children's church right now. Um, you know, some churches that have a bunch of services, you know, really big uh, churches, their people will volunteer in, like, children's church, and then they'll go to worship. Like, we don't have that. I mean, what, what a servant does it take to, to say... You know, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but I'm going to go there and serve the entire time. And, and then maybe if I want, I can catch the service like on, online later. Or maybe it looks like that. Maybe it looks like showing up and, uh, and helping with the do-witters ministry or helping with the food closet um, or, or youth group or one of these other things where you just don't see uh, a lot of praise coming their way, but they're making huge impacts in people's lives. So it's, it's this question of how can we as a church make sure that no one shows up uh, here, no one shows up to this space, and, and especially that they don't leave feeling like they were a second-class church attender. Feeling like, well, I mean, that was good, but that was, that was for them, that was for the insiders, and, and I kind of feel like an outsider. I mean, all churches struggle with this, right? And we have, we have people that... that 
know that this is their church, you know, 100%. And then you have people that are kind of showing up and they're like, I don't know how I feel, but, but what would it look like if both of them felt just as welcome? What would it look like if both of them felt uh, just as loved, just as cared for? And that doesn't come, it doesn't come from up here. <laughs> I mean, because we lead the same worship for you all, and you all hear the same sermon, but, but that comes from when you're arriving and greeting people, that comes from when, when you're having coffee and snacks afterwards, that comes from uh, as people are coming, as people are going, during the greeting time, you know, what would it look like if everyone felt like they fully belonged? And, I mean, there's only so much I can do. <laughs> I try to say hi to you all, but there's a lot of you, and there's only one of me. So if I just haven't said hi to you in a few months, I'm sorry, but there's a lot of you. I need you all to help me out. And, and, you all want that for each other, right? I mean, I feel like this is our heart. I feel like the church is doing well in some of these things. It seems like Paul is addressing a heart issue. And as we look at the, the church, maybe just this church, I feel like Paul um, maybe won't be as harsh. But then there's times where I look at like the church in America and I feel like maybe we need some harsh. You know, like, how, how are we really doing? How are we really doing with, with these other things? You know, evangelism, reaching out to other people, having the church not be uh, an insider's club, but be more like a lighthouse kind of model. Have you heard that model language before? So in an insider's club, you show up and there's programming for you, uh, and that's good. I mean, that's, that's fine. All of us like to be an insider. Uh, but a lighthouse, the purpose of it is to shine that light out into their world. Right? What if the church looked more like that? And less like, I want to show up and there's, there's good stuff for me. So here we are, uh, 1 Corinthians. We have one more week uh, in this book. And um, I, I, just, I just keep praying that God would speak to us through this. And, and part of what I keep seeing over and over again is the same message in each of these sections. Different issues are being addressed, but it's the same message. And the message is this, when you accept Jesus, when that becomes part of who you are, when, when you realize the good news of the gospel and, and that Jesus died for you and, and that it opens up this whole new reality uh, that you can live into, and it's not just about eternity, it's about right now too. Uh, Jesus says he came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's talking about now. That's, that's not just, uh, you know, in the end of, of your time. That when you accept that and it fully goes in and it fully starts to transform who you are, that, that it's going to put these new lenses. And, and through these new lenses, you're going to see the world different. And you're going to see your relationships different. And you're going to see your family different. And you're going to see your community different. And your work different. And you're going to see worship different. And you're going to see gathering as a church different because you're looking through the gospel. You're looking through the good news out into a hurting and broken world. And, and the main message, my main takeaway for this whole series is, is that I, I think, I, I've seen it, that I think a lot of Christians have reduced the good news of the gospel to just being good moral advice on how to be a nice person. 
that we just like, okay, Jesus said, act this way, you know, check that off the list. It's just good moral advice. And when we, when we reach out into the world, I mean, people are not offended by that. That's, that's not where, like, Christians, like, rub people the wrong way. Christians rub people the wrong way because Jesus is he, he's exclusive in his terminology. He says, I am the only way <laughs> to the Father. Out in a, in a world that says there's a million different ways that you can just experience your life and live it to the full, that is offensive. That is offensive that Jesus comes and he says, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Period. <laughs> end, end of the sentence. Like, we, and yet we've reduced that and, and we've said it's just, it's just good moral advice. Take it or leave it. He was a wise teacher you know, kind of language, and, and that has come into the church, too. But yet, what Scripture calls us to is that the gospel, which means good news, that, that the gospel is this announcement out into the world about Jesus that opens up this whole new reality. It opens up this whole new reality, not just for us and our relationship with God, and that's, that's fantastic, but us and our relationship with each other. Too, that, that God is doing something uh, and God wants to meet us in a special way. And it matters. It matters how we behave when we're together. It matters how you behave when you're with friends that, that maybe aren't Christians. It matters how we behave in the church parking lot when we're leaving. We're not having like road rage issues, but I always like to bring up the church parking lot. Uh, because it's so true at so many churches. I mean, you leave, and, and, and the people are honking horns. Get out of my way. <laughs> but yet we just worshiped, right? So, like, it matters. It matters outside of this one-hour time slot on Sunday morning. Um, why don't we pray?